You're listening to the new Mutual Audio Network. Welcome home. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance. Once again, Decoder Ring Theater presents another page from the casebook of that master of mystery, that sultan of sleuthing, Martin Bracknell's immortal detective, Black Jack Justice, starring Christopher Mott as Jack and Andrea Lyons as Trixie Dixon, girl detective. The name's Justice. Jack. Justice. People get some pretty strange ideas about just what a private detective does. On the deliberately rare occasion that I meet someone new, their eyes light up with visions of murder and mayhem dancing in their heads. It never seems to occur to them that murder and mayhem is generally what the public detectives are for, and those boys tend to get a little touchy if you try and help. A fellow could get his nose broken that way. Again. Generally, for a P.I. to get involved in a murder case, one of three things has to happen. His client gets murdered, his client murders someone, or someone, client or otherwise, murders him. The last option is the least popular and one I've been able to avoid thus far, which is why it was strange on this particular day, when I had nothing planned but staring at the door reading my own name backwards over and over again, to hear this request. Mr. Justice, I want you to solve the murder of Theodore Crandall. The name's Dixon. Trixie Dixon, girl detective. Our prospective client was an impressive side of beef. His size he was born with, and there wasn't much more to say about it than that. His build and general deportment suggested he worked for a living. Real work. Not the kind most folks do these days. His press suit and clean hands suggested that whatever it was he used to do, he'd been good enough at it that he didn't have to do it much anymore. He was polite, but he didn't mince words. He looked you in the eyes when he spoke to you. Not handsome, not ugly. A man, taken for all in all, as they say. He opened the door, nodded at me, walked to the middle of the room, and made his rather unique request as if it were the sort of thing we did each and every day. Jack and I exchanged a look. We hated to dispel his illusions. A case was a case. Well, that's very interesting, Mr... Arbor. Leon Arbor. This is my partner, Miss Dixon. Trixie, please. Glad to know you. Truth of the matter is, we've been run off our feet lately. (laughs) I haven't seen the paper in days. I'm afraid I'm not familiar with the Crandall murder. Trix? Theodore Crandall? Why, Jack, that was five years ago, wasn't it, Mr. Arbor? More like seven, young lady. But you're right. A seven-year-old murder? What makes you think we can do what John Law can't? The police? Well, I'm sure they tried, but I'm just as sure they aren't trying anymore. There's a reason for that, you know. Memories fade. Witnesses forget, move, die, you name it. They call them cold cases for a reason. If you're not interested... Interested. Brother, I haven't been this interested in anything for weeks. Then why? We just want you to have an idea of what we're up against, Mr. Arbor. Why don't you tell us everything you know, and we'll know better if it's worth your trouble and expense. In this matter, Miss Dixon... uh, Forgive me, Trixie. Uh, There's no trouble too great, and I will spare no expense. Why? What was Theodore Crandall to you? Crandall? Nothing. Never met the man. Trixie? Yeah, Jack? Take the phone off the hook, would you? You have our complete attention, Mr. Arbor. Well, sir, I'm a simple sort of man. I'm not one normally for speeches. I'm in construction, worked my way up over the years, and in the last ten years I've owned my own company. We're not the biggest in town, but we get the job done, and that still counts for something in this world. Yes, sir. It's not easy work, but it's something I've always enjoyed, even through the hard years. I guess I figured I had everything I needed, till I met her. Her? Helen. She'd been through so much, and I... 
Well, you just have to look at me to know I've never been much for courting the ladies. It took a little time, but, well, I'd do anything in this world for her, Mr. Justice. You've got to know that. Mr. Arbor. Yeah? You lost me somewhere between the murder investigation and the love story. Jeez, that's right. I'm, I'm sorry. It's just, I get so tongue-tied even talking about her. Leon Arbor looked down as he told his story and played with the ends of his fingers like a shy little boy. I've been a detective for too long to take much at face value, but if these big, strong, silent types ever figure out they can make the most jaded heart go pitter-pat with a routine like this, sisters, we are all in trouble. If what he was after was legal, my vote was to take the case. Helen is now my wife, Mr. Justice. But before that, she was Helen Crandall. Crandall? Don't suppose that's a coincidence. No, sir. My wife is Theodore Crandall's widow. I'm afraid I still don't understand. Helen is a wonderful woman. I've tried to make her happy. She says she is, but in my heart I know she's still haunted by what happened to her first husband. Sometimes she seems so far away. Well, when I ask about it, she'll smile and pretend nothing's wrong, but I can tell. And then there are the nightmares. She won't tell me about them, but... Oh, Mr. Justice, Miss Dixon, there's nothing in this world I wouldn't do for her. I've done all that I can, but the one thing that might give her peace is beyond my power to give. You think if her first husband's murder was solved, that'd do the trick? I think it would help, yes. It's worth my money to find out if it's worth your time. I looked at Trixie and she looked at me. I could see it in her eyes. She was soft for the big lug. His story rang true enough. It wasn't like we were besieged by other offers. I rubbed my chin to give the general impression that I was still thinking about it. I held Mr. Arbor's eyes for half a minute. He met my gaze without a flinch. I looked back to Trixie and shrugged a little. Mr. Arbor, we'll take the case. I appreciate it. But you've got to understand. If the police never made an arrest, it's for a reason. If their investigation hit a wall, the chances are very good that ours will, too. The odds are, at the end of the day, you'll have nothing to show for this but the dead certainty that you tried your best and so did we. Any detective who'd tell you different is a liar. I appreciate your honesty. When can you start? Right now. I'll draw up a contract. Trixie, you hit the stacks. I'm not sure how Jack used to reconcile being a detective with his loathing of libraries, but I do know since we've partnered up, I never had to fight much to land the bookwork. An awful lot of what a detective does happens in libraries, archives, halls of records and the like. I loved it. Burrowing through the newspaper files on the Crandall murder, I felt like a treasure hunter. Old Square Jaw could wear out two pairs of shoes and not start out on such solid ground. Theodore Crandall had been found late at night in an alley behind the factory he owned, not twenty feet from his car. The trunk was open. His face was scratched, his knuckles were bruised, and there was a jagged piece of metal, about seven inches long, sticking out of his belly. His watch and wallet had been taken, and the bulls figured that was the motive. They'd had a suspect. A wino they found five days later with several gallons of fine domestic paint thinner where his blood ought to be, and Crandall's half-empty billfold in his pocket. It had taken two days to sober him up, and another three to confirm his alibi. But in the end, they had to admit he'd just tripped over the body and reckoned the corpse wouldn't be needing his things. By the time they picked up the trail again, it had gone cold, and it looked like it stayed that way. The case had slowly drifted back from page one and finally disappeared after a two-paragraph mention on page 16, just above the title schedules. And that was it. I got a sandwich at a lunch counter and decided to walk back to the office, with a slight detour to the alley where Crandall had died. I wondered what Jack was up to, but I didn't wonder all that hard. Leon Arbor paid for a week up front, all in cash. He was ready to pony up more, but I convinced him to come back in a week to see what we had and if it seemed worthwhile to continue. 
He signed on the dotted line, shook my hand warmly, and gave me a chuck on the shoulder that would have knocked a smaller man on his back. He even had the good grace to look mildly sheepish at his own enthusiasm. I was starting to think Trixie was right about this guy, and I was sure I didn't want to end up on his bad side. I left a message with Hap Jackson at the M.E.'s office, begging for a copy of the coroner's report. I was sure Lady Bookworm would be gone for the rest of the morning and didn't feel much like waiting around, so I rang up Mike Rogers, crime reporter from the Gazette. Mike had been around so long he'd broken the story when Kane killed Abel. I figured he might point me in the right direction, if properly motivated. When you offered to buy me lunch, Jack, I expected a little more than a visit to the hot dog cart out front. Why's that? I happen to know you eat four of these a day. You working for my wife again? No, your cardiologist. <laughs> so, the Crandall murder, huh? Who's the client? Client? So that's what I've been doing wrong all this time. All right, wise guy. What do you need? You must have had a twinkle on this somewhere, Mike. Sure, the cops chased a robbery angle for a few days. Made it look good. Of course, it dead-ended, and a few days later, things just sort of clammed up. Clammed up? Any cop worth a suit can answer all your questions in a way that gives a guy nothing to print. Me? I can smell a cover at 60 paces. My editor? He bores real easy. Almost as easy as the average reader. It's his job. I don't know from why, but they turned off the heat on this one real early. No idea who provided the gag? Nah, just a lot of tap dancing from Sabian. Lieutenant Sabian? He worked the case? He was Sergeant Sabian back then, but sure, he was a lead bull. Whoever scared him off did a heck of a job, though. I figure politics. Politics? Sure. Crandall's business partner, McCready. He's got a lot of dough and the pull that comes with it. I chased it for a while, but couldn't make it stick. Listen, you dig up anything on this, I expect to get it first. Client gets it first, Mike. Then you, then the law. I hope none of you are holding your breath. There's nothing like a murder case to make you paranoid. Mike Rogers had been chasing them for so long he saw conspiracies everywhere. Sabian was a first-class pain in the neck, but he was a good cop. He didn't scare easy, and I didn't believe that seven years had changed him that much. On the way back to the office, I ran into Trixie. She'd been down to the stacks in the scene of the crime. I told her if she showed me hers, I'd show her mine. The problem isn't that he said it. The problem is that he said it like he hadn't said it a hundred times before. Anyway, I ran him over the details as we walked up, and he told me about Mike Rogers' theory. I agreed it sounded thin. I was a lot more interested in the scene of the crime. The alley behind Crandall's factory was narrow. Deliveries only, no parking. The crime was committed in the middle of the night. Why had Crandall been at the factory at all? Why had he parked in the alley instead of the lot across the street? Four hours into the case and we'd found a dozen questions and no answers. Maybe our news hound's nose knows after all. What's that? Try this one on. The partner, McCready, calls Crandall up in the middle of the night. There's big trouble down at the factory. Get down here right away. He tears out, parks in the alley, and bam. The murder weapon was scrap metal, Jack. Something you find, not something you plan a murder around. Unless that was meant to throw the cops off the track. Why throw the cops off the track and fix the case from upstairs at the same time? Better safe than sorry. We're going to need a little more than that. We're going to get it. We'll talk to the partner in the morning. Agreed. In the meantime, I've got a call in for a copy of the coroner's report. Maybe there's something in there we can use. Well, you gonna open the office door or just stand there admiring your name and lights? I was just thinking. You locked your keys in the office again, didn't you? Shut up. My hero. Allow me. Well, well. Mr. and Mrs. Flatfoot. Out for a stroll? Sabian. Make yourself comfortable, Lieutenant Sabian. Never let a little thing like a locked door stand in the way of our friendship. Don't get wise. What do you want, Sabian? Call off the dogs, Dixon. 
I just stopped by with a little friendly advice. Last time I got friendly advice from your boys, it came with two broken ribs. Not all cops are thugs, Justice. So they say. Of course, if they said not all rain was wet, I'd still want to see it for myself. Word around the campfire is you're on the Crandall murder. Who told you that? Little bird in the medical examiner's office. I take it you didn't drop by with a copy of the coroner's report. Cute. I won't bother to ask who the client is. Whatever he's paying you, it ain't worth it. Afraid we'll show up the department, Lieutenant? I'd explain it, but you'd never understand. Walk away is all. Thanks for stopping by, Sabian. Have it your way. Some guys you just can't help. You are listening to Blackjack Justice from DecoderRingTheater.com. No detective likes to be told to walk away from a case. The more you try to pull him off it, the more he digs his teeth in. Lieutenant Sabian wasn't exactly on our Christmas card list, but he was too good a detective not to know we wouldn't scare. At least I thought he was. Mike Rogers' theory that the fix was in on the Crandall murder was looking less and less crazy all the time. If something had run Sabian off the case seven years ago, it meant the trail hadn't gone cold after all. Which meant that happy ending our client, Leon Arbor, was trying to buy for his wife might just be possible. Of course, if this something was big and bad enough to run Sabian up a tree, the ending might not be all that happy for Trixie and me. We could only hope their partner, Mr. McCready, was a little more forthcoming. I don't understand why you're digging around this mess again. Ted Crandall's been dead seven years. Can't you just let him rest? Maybe his rest isn't the issue, Mr. McCready. There's other interested parties. Interested parties? It can't be an insurance angle. Ted didn't carry a policy. His only business relationship was with me, and I didn't hire you. He had no family. He had a wife? Helen didn't hire you. What makes you so sure? I didn't... Look, Helen Crandall has been through enough. Don't dredge this up. You talk to her often? Often enough. Not often enough to know that she's been Helen Arbor for the last four years? She... Does she still own her husband's share of this company? No. No, I bought her out shortly after Ted died. I see. I'm not sure I like what you're implying. Did I imply something, Jack? Helen had no means of support. You can check the records. I paid her twice what Ted's half of the business was worth. Very generous. It was the least I could do. What was your partner doing here in the middle of the night? Ted often worked late. So he'd been here all day? I suppose. Parked in the alley? I couldn't say. Is that what you told the police? You'd have to ask them. We have. They're a little sketchy on details. You talked to Sergeant Sabian? You can't remember your statement to the police, but you remember the name of the detective you gave it to? Maybe you should talk to Sergeant Sabian. You use that alley for anything except deliveries? Not that I know of. Any chance we could see a shipping manifest from the day Crandall died? You should really... Look, MacReady, if we promise to talk to Sabian, can we see the manifest? You'll call him? Scout's honor. Fortunately, Jack was never a Boy Scout, so we got what we wanted and hightailed it out of there. I had a feeling that Sabian's phone would be ringing all right, but it'd be MacReady on the other end confirming the lieutenant's suspicions that we hadn't laid off the case. We had to go to ground while we figured out where to go from here. We made camp at the Blue Moon Bar down the street and thrashed things out as best we could. All else fails. Start with the facts. Facts? The facts are the problem. The murder weapon was a found object. Says crime of opportunity. But what opportunity? No robbery, at least not till after the fact. The wino. The wino. 
Maybe we should dig him up. I think we'd have to. He was a transient wino seven years ago. Think he took the cure and made his first million? I think the partner. Why? Why else is he dancing so fast to keep this covered? Why is Sabian? And why did your friend Hap tip him off? I don't know. McCready owns a factory. He's got some pull. He and Crandall meet late at the factory. They argue. McCready grabs a piece of metal and before you know it... All right, don't give me that look. I know how thin it is. What's the motive? Control of the business. Think Crandall would have turned down an offer equal to what McCready gave his widow? The least I could do? Think McCready bribed Sabian to keep it quiet? I think Sabian's too good a cop for that. And if you tell him I said so, I'll clip your beak. Likewise. If it's not the business and it's not a robbery, what about a mob hit? Something to do with the business. That's why McCready won't talk. He's still scared? No. Sabian worked his way up from beat cop busting those rackets. If it was the mob, he'd have hung them from the treetops. Besides, you ever hear of a mob hit with a piece of scrap metal? Scrap metal. What was on that manifest again? Uh, two shipments out, one morning, one afternoon. Three deliveries. The first was 9.30, the last 6.45. So there's no way Crandall's car was there all day. He went there for something. But what? Who found the body? A crew coming in to pick up the trash. City crew? Nah, private outfit. They haul a container of industrial waste out of there once a week, nice and regular. Late at night? How did you... You didn't just look at the relevant page in the manifest, did you? So Crandall could have been coming down for something that was in the container. Something that wasn't supposed to go. And someone stabbed him with his own garbage? Why not? Sure, why not? Who and why? Right. Who and why? Okay. I'm gonna hate myself for saying this. Leon Arbor? Loves the other classic motive, isn't it? Relax, Trix. It don't make much sense to hire detectives to catch yourself, but I'm suspicious in nature. You pumped him? While we were dotting the T's on the contract. Didn't take much. Some mutual friends introduced he and Helen two years after the murder. Thank God. We're running in circles here. We can't get any of the original reports or interviews. The partner won't talk to us. We could take Arbor's last dollar and not find the wino. How far can we get without talking to the wife? Nobody talks to the wife. Good afternoon, Lieutenant Sabian. We were just hiding from you. You're doing a pretty lousy job. You're in the bar closest to your office. Give me a little credit. Come to hand out more friendly advice, Sabian? If I thought you were bright enough to take it... Here. That doesn't look like a police file. It's not. It's from my private files. And it's going back there, too. If I can't shake you loose, I may as well let you in the know and hope you've got the sense to see it like I did. Open it. We did. The first thing we found was Sabian's original interview notes. He hadn't been able to talk to the wife right away. The doctor said it was nerves after hearing about her husband's death. He was still chasing the robbery angle, so that was all well and good. Then that fell apart, and he stamped his feet till he got in to see Helen Crandall. It was a week later, and she was made up. But there was no hiding the black eye, the split lip. He could see from the way she babied her right arm that it had been recently sprained at the elbow. The kind of sprain you get when someone twists your arm till it almost snaps. She wouldn't speak. Wouldn't look at him. He saw the broken fingernails on her right hand. He didn't have to wonder if they'd match the scratches on her late husband's cheek. He saw the bandages on both wrists. The next thing in the file were copies of Helen Crandall's medical records. The doctor had done for Sabian what Sabian was now doing for us. Spelling it all out plain. he treated the Crandalls for years. he treated her broken wrist the year before... Her black eyes, the broken nose six months earlier. Both concussions, including the one she almost didn't wake up from. He'd saved her from the suicide attempt after the murder. He laid it all out in the open, because he knew hiding it had never done any good. Crandall drank, and he got ideas. 
She took it. She covered for him. Then one night he got it in his head that she'd cheated on him. And he did what any reasonable man in his position would have done. He beat his wife to a pulp, threw her in the trunk of his car and took her to his factory to kill her and throw her body in a container of scrap due to be picked up that night. Finally, she fought back. I doubt she even knew what was in her hand. If you'd seen her then, I've had a few rotten nights for things that I've done. Walking away from the Crandall murder? It ain't one of them. Who knows about this? Nobody that disagrees with me. Except maybe you two. Give me that file. You can't prove any of this. See you in the funny papers. Sabian. Yeah? Drink? I'm on duty. I'll be... You probably will. The problem now is, what do we tell our client? Well, uh, I know you both did your best, but I won't pretend I'm not disappointed. Do you think a little more time... Mr. Arbert, the world's not a pretty place, sir. Sometimes bad things happen for a reason. Sometimes they just happen. Your wife's first husband... The cops never found the killer because it was a random, brutal thing. It just happened. I could look from now till doomsday, but I'd never find your man. It's not like we couldn't use a steady gig. But any detective that tell you different is a shyster. I appreciate that. And for what it's worth, I believe you. I just wish I could have done this one thing for her. Mr. Arbor, we don't know each other well. And I never met Ted Crandall. But from what I've learned in the last week... Sir, even if the day he died was the worst day in her life, I'd say the best was probably the day she met you. You can't fix the past. You're a prince to try, and I wish we could have made it happen for you. But you've got the present and the future to make as bright as you know how. Give her that, Leon. It's all she'd want from you and more than she had before. Thank you, Drixie. Uh, Mr. Justice, I will try. Good day, and thank you. They say justice delayed is justice denied. Maybe that was true from Theodore Crandall's point of view, but it seemed to me more justice had been handed out seven years ago than most cops dole out in a lifetime, and we'd only played a small part in that. Leon Arbor went home to his wife. As far as I know, he never tried to solve the case again. And Sabian was right. Of all the things that kept me up at night... The Crandall murder was never one of them. Blackjack Justice, Episode 4, Justice Delayed, was written and directed by Greg Taylor and starred Christopher Mott and Andrea Lyons with additional voices by Brian Vaughn, Kevin Robinson, Peter Nickel, and Greg Taylor. This recording and the story, characters, and situations depicted within are the property of their author and creator and protected by copyright. Until next time, remember, DecoderRingTheater.com is your address to adventure. Hey everyone, it's Mark from Leap Audio. I'm here to tell you about something really exciting. July 24 through 26 of 2020, Halifax, Nova Scotia, we are gathering together 
in the world's first international modern audio drama convention and family reunion. Inspired in part by the living, loving memory of our dear friend Bill Hallwake, we're bringing together writers, producers, actors, and our fans for workshops, seminars, and even live performances. So join us, won't you? Go to madcon.com. That's www.mad-con.com for more information. I hope to see you in Halifax in 2020.